0: Good morning. Good to see you all. Enough about what I've got going on. Glad to have you all here this morning. Um, we are headed for, hopefully you got your Bibles. Uh, we are headed for John chapter 6, verse 16. Uh, it's a familiar story this morning, but it's a great story, fantastic story. On your While you're turning there, we're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Kind of our key verse for the gospel of John. Pulls all all of these ideas together where he says Jesus' disciples saw him do many other miraculous signs besides the ones recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. That's good. Every week. That's good. That is just a great verse. So in the first 15 verses of John chapter six, uh, kind of recap because last week we had father's day. So we kind of got to catch up. Uh, so, so in the first 15 verses of John six, Jesus found this perfect hillside with a perfect view to feed fish sandwiches to 5,000 men plus women and children. You remember that story? It's an extraordinary, there, there's an extraordinary human need in that story. There, you have this hungry crowd with no food. All that is humanly available is an insignificant amount of bread and fish. Remember, it was just a little boy's lunch, so they don't have much to work with. However, Jesus breaks the bread, distributes the fish, and everyone miraculously has more than enough. In this story, we see that with Jesus, there is no need too big, no gift too small. Jesus provides. He is Lord over. Okay, we're going to have to redo that sermon. I thought that that was really smart. But anyway, so while I'm reading that, I'm thinking. The reason that I'm going back to verse 1 and recapping that story is because John 6 goes together. I I hate that we have to take it apart. I was complaining to to Thomas this week that I really wish we could take chapter 6 and go for two and a half hours and go from Jesus feeds the 5,000, today Jesus walks on the water, and then to this didactic where Jesus teaches the last part, the last whole bunch of verses of John chapter 6, and he ties it all together into one really fantastic thought. Uh, but because you guys won't let me preach for two and a half hours and i could if you would let me uh because that would be unreasonable because i know that your brain can't absorb for that long too uh we, we break it into all these little segments and then in in the next two weeks probably i'll start pulling it all together so so today's story goes with last week's story but we're not going to tie it all together until next week okay i was just distracted by that thought i had to tell you what i was thinking so In uh, the first 15 verses of John chapter 6, this is is important, you got to listen carefully. It is impossible to overstate the significance of Jesus' divine power to supply for human need. In the first 15 verses of John chapter 6, it is impossible to overstate the significance of Jesus' divine, glorious, eternal, magnificent power to supply for human, who is that? All of us. To supply for human need and that we are completely incapable. Can you just absorb that for a second? We bring our little lunch, and God is prepared, Jesus is prepared to feed the multitudes. We bring a little bit. He's prepared to feed everyone. Jesus mercifully, graciously, lovingly, generously, miraculously provides. Remember last week we talked about they took 12 baskets of to-go, uh, to-go baskets. They had 12 to-go baskets. Hallelujah. Right? Pretty cool story. It's a wonderful story. John, in his gospel account, tells you and me this story so that we might believe and have eternal life. That is the reason for this story. Brent, we've been in Christianity for a while. We think we have our brain around this. We're fine. No, 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 no. John wants you and me to hear about the miraculous behavior of a man, Jesus, who was God. Are you with me? God. God came, and he was hung on a cross, bled and died for the forgiveness of our sins, and then he was raised to life so that you and I might be raised to eternal life as well. God did that for us. Amen, Brent. That's good preaching. Hallelujah. John writes so that you might believe. We're going to tie this all together here in a little bit, okay? The people Jesus fed that day, they kind of believed. They did. We see that at the end of the story, that perceiving that Jesus was the prophet that Moses and Malachi had prophesied uh, that would come. Uh, The story ends with these people wanting to force Jesus to be king. There's two problems with that. You don't force your God to do anything. And Jesus is not your king. Not in this setting, okay? I know other places in Scripture refers to Jesus as king, but not in this setting. John is not setting Jesus up to be your governing body, your ruler in that sense. John is setting Jesus up to be God. That's significantly different, okay? These people in this story, they believe that Jesus was a prophet. See, they did believe, but they only believed that Jesus was a prophet. They believed that Jesus would make a great king. He's an incredible man. He'll feed us all for free. How cool is that? He he could get elected in America today. (laughs) Stick to the text, Brent. We're going to see later on in the chapter that they didn't believe that Jesus was God. They did not believe. They believed that he was a prophet. They believed he'd make a great king. They did not believe that Jesus was God incarnate. That's why John starts his gospel off with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Even though they saw his miraculous deeds, they still did not believe that Jesus was Lord over all, including me. Jesus slipped away from them. Because Jesus was on mission to be their savior, to be their Lord, to be their God, not just to be a prophet or a king. Are you with me? John tells the next miraculous event to further demonstrate that Jesus is God. All right? So I simply titled this, Jesus Walks on Water, because I wasn't feeling creative this week. And it didn't matter anyways, because you guys didn't remember my creative little poem two weeks ago. So see if I try to be creative anymore. That that noise always comes across really well on the radio. All right, so (laughs) this is why I don't listen to myself. It's embarrassing. In the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, we see his compassion for humanity. He knows that the crowds are coming. He finds a hill. He's like, guys, get ready. They're fixing to come. We're going to feed them. We're going to take care of them. He feeds the 5,000 hungry people, plus women and children. In this story today, we see Jesus' undeniable authority over creation. Remember, John is writing to build the case to prove to you and I that Jesus is God. For all of those who would question the divinity of the man named Jesus, John writes and he answers all of the questions if we just read the book. So, number one, where's Jesus? I think that that's funny. Kind of like, where's Waldo? But where's Jesus? I don't know. It's just the way it plays in my head. Verse 16. Here we go. We're starting now. Where's Jesus? Verse 16, he says, That evening, Jesus' disciples, they went down to the shore to wait for him. Are you picturing that? They've had a big day of ministry. Feed the 5,000 if it's the right Chronological order, which John's not trying to write a a chronologically correct story. So they've had a big day. They go down to the shore. They're there to wait for Jesus, right? Standing around. Don't know where he went. Last we saw him, they were trying to make him king, and he just disappeared. He took off into the hills. Verse 17. But as darkness fell, picture the darkness falling And Jesus still hadn't come back. Are you feeling what the disciples are feeling? uh, We were supposed to leave an hour ago. It's dark now. Come on, Jesus. Get with the program. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Now remember in the previous text, when the people wanted to make Jesus their king, he slipped off into the crowd? Obviously, we don't have all of the details of the story, but evidently there was some sort of a plan or some sort of an expectation that they would meet back at the boat. We came in the boat. It would stand a reason if we're going to leave together in the boat. The disciples have waited. Now we're kind of at the point where it's, hey. You have any idea where Jesus is at? I don't have any idea. Twelve guys standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Where's Jesus? Where is he at? Does he not know? We're supposed to meet back at the boat. It's getting late. The sun has gone down. Light is going away. Darkness is coming over us. Maybe Jesus has decided to travel just along the shore. Maybe he went in another boat with somebody else. Who knows? The disciples decided that they needed to go on and get across the lake of Capernaum. We need to go ahead and get in the boat. And so they get in the boat and they go, and Jesus just missed the boat so to speak. I had to work that out. That's good. Jesus missed the boat, right? I know you never think that way, right? We're going through life and we have a plan. We know exactly when things need to happen, what things need to happen, and how they're going to happen. And dadgummit, Jesus misses the boat. He can be so frustrating sometimes. It's as if, it's as if he's God and thinks he's in control right? Ah, gotcha sucker. While John is writing this to exalt the divine nature of Jesus, he is also marvelously describing typical faith-deprived human nature. In the previous text, Philip determines the need is too great. There's too many hungry people here. Andrew takes inventory, and he decides that the gift is too small. It's too small of a lunch. In both of these stories, we see the problem. In both of these stories, we see the problem from a human perspective before we see it resolved supernaturally. Just think about that for a second. We see these problems From a human perspective, which, I mean, we're not God, so of course we see things in a human perspective. But we see the human perspective of the impossibility before we see it resolved supernaturally. I bring that out because there is a cycle, and we should pay attention to the cycle. That we as humans, we see the obstacle that is too big for us. In fact, sometimes we even think it's too big for God right before. God does something supernatural. In both of these stories, we see the conflict of man versus problem, as opposed, did you get your brain around that? In both of these stories, we see, we see this conflict of man versus a problem. People need to be fed. Jesus didn't show up on time. As opposed to seeing it as God versus a problem. you get it? That's a big difference. Some of you are like, what? Is he having a stroke? (laughs) He just stopped. Call 911. No, I'm waiting for you to get it. Man versus a problem as opposed to the God, the living God of creation facing a little problem on a little bitty blue planet. We see the problem as gigantic 5,000 people and all we have is a little boy's lunch. God's like, dude, I got the planet in my hand. I don't know why you're being so wound up. Jesus, the sun is going down. We got to get the the boat from point A to point B before it gets dark. Because if you're out on the water after dark, there's no way to navigate and it's scary and it's terrible. We can't do this, God. We have this severe problem and Jesus missed the boat. What are we going to do? And he's like, I hold the seas, I measure the seas out in the palm of my hand, and you're worrying about a boat ride that's four, five, six miles max? Really? Genius? <laughs> right. It is a battle that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when mankind first thought he could outthink God. Adam and Eve put more confidence in themselves Than in God. Now, everything, listen to me carefully, everything in our psyche, in our fallen nature, in the way we think, everything in our fallen world wants to manipulate us into thinking that we have some sense of knowledge, that we have some sense of power or authority and we don't really need God. That's true. (laughs) No one's saying amen because you don't want to own up to it. The disciples are all standing on the shore, and you know Peter, he's like, I can drive this boat. Dude, let me have it. I'll drive it. He's never driven this boat before. We're a bunch of fishermen. We're sailors. We can handle, we've been on this lake a thousand times. We can handle this. We don't need Jesus in the boat. So let's just go. We'll, we can solve this problem. We don't need God in our boat. Because, hey, we've all been there before. When a problem arises, you and I have been in situations before. When a problem arises and where's Jesus? Metaphorically, the sun is going down. We can't sail after dark. We need to move along, God. The world is falling apart around us. When are you going to show up? You fed the 5,000. Now you neglect the 12 of us on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We need to go to Capernaum. Jesus, where are you? Jesus hasn't done anything. So let's take matters into our own hands. We can figure this out without Jesus. We can can do this on our own. We can function fine, independent of a supernatural God. Where's Jesus? He's not here when we think he should be. So we'll just take care of it ourselves. Let's start rowing our own boat. Obviously, Jesus is not going to show. He's not Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he's lost out there in the dark in the woods. We don't know. But we don't know where Jesus is. And it's time to go. Okay? Are you with me? I like the way you're thinking. Some of you are like, where is he going to go with this now? Number two. Here's Jesus. Verse 18. Verse 18. So the guys, they got in the boat, right? They take off. Soon a gale. That's not a person. That's a wind, evidently. We don't have gales. Uh, I don't, that's a weird word. Soon a gale, big wind, swept down upon them. Who's them? The disciples in the boat without Jesus. That's significant. Soon a gale swept down upon them, whoosh, and the sea grew very rough, whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> right? Circumstance, come on. Y'all are not picturing this in your brain, so I have to help you. Circumstances just got a lot worse, right? They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. Now, I have to pause right there for a second. I know he goes on and says they were terrified. We, if, if we've been raised in church, you've heard this story before. This is just a a story that we repeat often because it is a fantastic story. But again, I appeal to the fact that those of us who have been raised in in church and we've heard the story of Jesus walking on the water, it becomes a little bit familiar, a little bit mundane, like, oh, of course Jesus walks on the water. That's the way the story always goes. But John writes to us so that we will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is not just a man performing a miracle. This is God showing his power, authority, and all of his supernaturalness over water. It's fantastic in the sense that it is God, not a man walking on water. God is approaching this little boat. Can you say, dude, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, thank you. Some, some people, evidently, for some of us, it was good. The rest of you are like, wait a second. It was God walking on the water? It was Jesus walking? I don't know. Which, what's, what's the translation say? Oh, Jesus walking on the water toward their boat. They were terrified. But he called out to them, don't be afraid. I am here, OK? So here again, I'm trying to get your brain into this story. Put yourself into the boat. I have been in a boat in rough water. One time, uh, we, we had a boat that wasn't right, running right. And so on a Sunday afternoon, it was like, hey, uh, one of the guys that worked on boats, let's go out to Morgan Lake. And we're going to run my boat and see if we can kind of figure out what's going on. Uh, but we weren't really paying attention. And if you've ever been out on Morgan, you know that in the morning, it's pretty calm. And in the afternoon, it gets pretty rough because there's a gale. <laughs> The gale blows in and makes the roof. So we're coming back to the shore as fast as we can. And seriously, we're going through waves that are that are this much higher than the edge of the boat. And we're just in a pretty shallow boat anyway. And so we're just flying through the waves and they're higher than the sides of the boat. And they fly, they break over into the boat every once in a while, and water's going everywhere. I had my whole family with me because that's what we do, you know, go drive the boat in a crazy windstorm. And uh, it was scary but it wasn't even dark. So imagine you're bobbing around out in the sea and your, your little boat is crashing up and down in the waves in the darkness would have been clouds probably. So it's not like you got a big full moon shining around. It's just dark and you're just bouncing hard. Then yeah, have, you got that in your head. I'm waiting for some of you to imagine it. I'm not going to go on until you imagine it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Now we can go then out of your darkness and we're bouncing around and we don't know when we're going to go over or when the next wave is just going to go over us and we go under and we're all swimming. We don't know. Total darkness. And then you see an image in the darkness. So here we are bouncing up and down. And whenever the boat goes down, you see there's a person out there. There is like an image, a silhouette of a person, lightning flashes. And you see an image walking out. We're out in the middle of an ocean. Well, in the middle of a sea. We're way too far from land for us to be able to see a person. And there's a person standing, standing. Are you listening? We're in the boat. It's scary. Lightning flashes. There's somebody standing on top of the water out there. My podium needs Windex now. (laughs) It's not like, hey, Peter, look at that. That's cool. It's like, dude, there's a ghost. If we were not scared before, which they all were, we should be very scared now because now we're seeing ghosts. We see an apparition. We see, are we fixing to die? (laughs) I think we're fixing to die. I'm pretty sure we're fixing to die. We are so close to death, now we're seeing ghosts walking around on the water. Yeah, they were terrified then. In all seriousness, Jesus is so cool. As logical as Jesus can possibly be, not an ounce of arrogance, just absolute fact, and with all the confidence and comfort of a loving father, Jesus says, I am here. I am here. There's no need for you to be afraid anymore. He says, guys, I've got you. You're fine. I'm here. Don't be afraid. The disciples have seen Jesus do supernatural things before, right? They've seen him heal sick people. That's cool. They've seen him feed a multitude of people with five loaves and two fish, but this is different. This is them, and they are in the storm, and they're about to lose their lives, and there is a force of nature that they know because these guys are familiar with this sea and they're familiar with gales they're familiar with the wind they're familiar with storms they know that they're in trouble they've rowed and they can't row anymore they can't get back to the shore this is a storm, a force of nature the wind and the waves they are completely out of control and they are overcoming this little boat and these men the disciples have been rowing their little arms off trying to regain some control (laughs) are you with me? Right? There's a metaphor there. I have to explain it to you. Yeah, we, we leave the shore without Jesus. We get out into the middle of the lake. The storm blows in life. And so we're rowing with all of our might. We call the pastor. Oh, life is falling apart. Pray for me. <laughs> That's how it sounds, right? And we call every prayer chain in America. Because if we can get enough people praying... If we can get enough people rowing, then God will have to do what we want him to do. We're out there rowing our arms off, praying our heads off. Wish I hadn't left the shore without Jesus now, but we'll figure it out. We'll get it. We will, we will try to regain control of our little boat. They have been desperately trying to catch a glimpse of a shoreline and the lightning, hope, hoping to gain some bearing on which direction they need to be going in the darkness. They don't know where to go and they are incapable of getting the boat to go in the direction they want it to go. They're just in the dark and they're stuck. I'm sure that you have never felt this way before. Once upon a time, Diane and I were given the opportunity to find other employment. Neither one of us had a job. We had two small children, one car payment, one house payment, until actually the next week our house sold, and then we didn't have a house. <laughs> so, you know, you leave the shore thinking, at least we got a house. We're fine. We don't know how to make the payment, but then the house sold. So now, oh, we don't have a house. Where's Jesus? God, this boat is rocking. Where is Jesus? Jesus. When Desert Heights uh, first moved into the building on Schofield Lane, some of you will remember this, but when we moved into the building on Schofield Lane, we signed a five-year lease. We were so proud. The Marriott wasn't going to guarantee us rooms anymore because we were renting several more rooms and uh, we were just taking more space and we weren't spending a lot of money with them. And so we needed to find another place. So we found a building on Schofield Lane. We signed the lease, super nice guy. We painted the entire interior of the building. We borrowed some chairs and set this up and we had our first Sunday service. We were so proud. We were rowing. The sun was shining. It was beautiful. Monday morning, we drive up to the building and the city had red-tagged us because we didn't have this little thing called a certificate of occupancy. Didn't know what it was before then, but I learned after that. Come to find out, our building did not meet the codes to be used as a church building. So the first discussion that we had with the building inspectors was that we were looking at about $250,000 to make this building usable for our purposes. We already signed the contract. I don't know if you know how that works, but once you sign the contract, it's like, hey, this is your baby. You can do anything you want. Spend $250,000. That's fine. So it's kind of one of those moments where, where's Jesus? <laughs> I'll bet every one of us can tell several stories when Jesus missed the boat. The storm came blowing over, uh, all, over all over kingdom come, and we were wondering, where's Jesus? In this story, in John chapter 6, John intentionally excludes the whole part about Peter getting out of the boat and walking and sinking and walking again, right? Do you remember that's part of the story? I think it's interesting that John leaves it out, but I think it's also interesting that Matthew and Mark recorded it because then we have a little bit of a, we we can compare the stories and we can see that John left something that's very significant out. But here's the reason. John is telling the story of Jesus showing up in the midst of our storm. When Mark and Matthew tell about it, they're talking about the miracle of Peter, of Jesus causing Peter to walk on the water too. That's great, but that's not part of this story. John is pointing to Jesus being God. Jesus, cool as a cucumber, he walks up to the boat. Guys, don't be afraid, I'm here. Human power has failed to pause for a minute because I know that some of us have a hard time getting our mind around that. What? We did all the right things. We tried hard. We made a plan. We did everything. Human power failed. All the rowing in the world was uh, about as useful as five loaves and two fishes to feed a multitude of hungry people. Hope was lost several hours ago. Fear is now in control of this boat. This storm was about to sink their boat. Then Jesus in the dark on the water, walks up to the boat. Don't be afraid. I am here. The maker of the wind and the waves just strolled up onto this scene. He's calm. This is no big deal. A gale doesn't scare the creator of heavens and earth. He's God. In fact, maybe Jesus has been going for a casual stroll across the last three or four miles on the lake before he comes upon the little boat that's rocking and rolling, and there's 12 scared men inside of it, and there, some of them are crying. I think Judas was crying. <laughs> I think uh, James and John, they're shouting, Th- sons of thunder. They're like, yeah, bring it on! <laughs> Some are hunkered down in the bottom of the boat, holding on to their knees. They're scared. Some are praying to any and every god for help. Some are angry. Peter was angry. He's yelling at the wind. No, you're not going to take me out. Maybe some of them were angry at Jesus. Jesus. If Jesus had just been on the shore on time, we wouldn't be in this situation. If God had taken care of this, if he, if, where is God in this? Why are we going through this storm? This is God's fault. He's a sovereign God. Why doesn't he fix it? Why does he cause me to go through this storm? It's a bad scene. But in the middle of the storm, that is, listen carefully, in the middle of the storm, that is completely out of your control, here's Jesus. Here is Jesus. In the moment of our complete helplessness, in the moment of our terror, God walks up and He says, don't be afraid. I'm here. I've got you. Just like a father does to a child who falls down. You're, this is not the end. You're okay. I'm here with you. And, and, and God scoops us up and we're fine. I don't know what your storm is, but I know that God walks around in impossible situations. And I know that Jesus is here. Maybe he's just out of sight Maybe we only get a glimpse of him every once in a while when the lightning flashes. We come to service and it's like, man, that was a good song. I finally, I think that Jesus is paying attention. And then we go back to our week on Monday and we're saying, where is Jesus? Right? I'm telling you, Jesus is here. He walks around in big problems. Number three, where am I? Verse 21, he says, then they were eager... <laughs> It's, storms have a way of creating motivation, right? Before they're on the shore and they're like, I ain't waiting for his, sorry, self. I'm just going to leave him. He didn't make it. So let him go. I got to stop doing that. <laughs> now they're out on the sea of Galilee and the storm is roaring. Now they are eager to let him in the boat and immediately, watch this, immediately they arrived at their destination. Why is it that we wait until life is completely out of control before we are eager to let Jesus in our boat? I'm not throwing stones because while I was going through this this morning, I'm thinking to myself, mankind has been doing this forever. I can do this on my own. And God has to put us into into a storm. Why does God put us in storms? Here's the answer because he's trying to get us to see we're not in control. He has to put us in a situation where we are obviously completely out of control, and then we cry out and we're eager, Lord Jesus, we need you. I need you in my life. I need you in my boat. I need you to guide this. I don't need a co-pilot. I need to go sit back up in the cargo while you drive, because I'm done. God brings us to the end of our selfishness the disciples seem to be well past the point of i've got this they know they don't got this they are full on their mindset is full on there is jesus he's walking on the water we need him in the boat with us now we know who our confidence is, in, is should be in so now that he's here by all means jesus hurry get in the boat Isn't it possible, think with me for a second, isn't it possible that the disciples could have waited until Jesus came to the boat when it was on the shore, even if Jesus had gotten there well after dark? They could have waited. Yeah, they could have. They just, Peter, he's the one that's like, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. I don't know that. I just think that, all right? Had they waited for Jesus initially back at the store, back at the store, (laughs) I don't know where that came from. There's no store in this story. (laughs) Had they waited for Jesus initially back on the shore, see, that's what happens when you put shore and storm together, it is safe for us to assume that they would have gotten to their destination with much less terror. Had they just waited until Jesus got in the boat? Yeah, it would have been dark, but you have God in the boat. So, so, yeah, they would have gotten there somehow. Do you think that before we leave Jesus on the shore that we should patiently? I just lost you all, didn't I? Well, forget that. Let's close in prayer. Before we leave Jesus on the shore and go rowing our own boat, do you think that we ought to patiently, prayerfully wait on Jesus? Should we take a moment to consult the scriptures, the word of the living God, to see if God has some direction for our lives before we just jump in and start rowing like crazy people? Should we seek the advice of some wise believers before we head out into the darkness? Is there something, is there anything we can do to make sure that Jesus is in the boat before we go venturing off on our own without him? Because that's a bad place to be. John includes this last phrase, and I just think this is incredibly intriguing. He says, and immediately, immediately, suddenly, instantaneously, they arrived at their destination. John, the one who wrote this gospel, that wrote this story, John was in that boat. So John knows firsthand how scared the other guys were. Yeah. Yeah. One moment, they were bobbing around on the sea in a storm, and the next moment, when Jesus puts his foot into the boat, they are on the shore at exactly the place they were supposed to be. Not just some random place out of the storm, they were in exactly the place they were supposed to be, and there was no more storm. Did you get your brain around that? totally outside the realm of physics, totally beyond the expectations or imagination of any human. The disciples were a part of something supernatural again. They had just experienced the presence and the power of Almighty God in an instant. They were there. They saw it. They were part of it. It's incredible. Incredible. Jesus has, pardon me, John has written this miracle down so that you might believe he tells us this story to say i was there i was there on the shore whenever we decided listen it's getting dark we just need to go I was there when the gale came blowing down on top of us and about blew our little boat over and the wind was, and the waves was blowing over into our ship. I was there when the lightning flashed and we saw a figure of a man walking in the water. I was there when he stepped into the boat and the storm stopped and we were immediately at our destination. I was there. I saw it. I experienced it. And I'm writing this to tell you, believe in Jesus, not as a prophet, not just as a king over this physical world, but believe in him as God. God comes to your boat. God comes to your life. And he says, calm down. I'm here. You have a choice. Keep rowing and ignore him or believe. Not believe that he can feed people. That's great. Not just believe that he can heal people. That's wonderful. But believe that he is God. God over all. And he can come into your life and he can transform your life in a peaceful way. He can take you to exactly the destination that as God, he wants you to be. But what if he takes me somewhere I don't want to go? Then you don't understand him as God. You just don't understand him as God. I got lost in my notes. John has written this so that you might believe that Jesus is not only a man who lived like you, but he is God who became man to live alongside of you, to demonstrate to you your desperate need for him. We come with all that we have. We come to Christ and we bring our little lunch. We bring, maybe we bring our boat. We bring an oar. See, that's funny. We bring an oar. I'm here to serve God. I'm going to change the world. (laughs) And God says, oh, you're so cute. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But Brett. No, don't talk to Brett. But God, I've got all this education. I grew up in a, in a, in a Christian home. I, I'm a good person. I've done all the right things. I give regularly, and I, I talk to people and invite them to church. God, I bring something valuable to the kingdom of God. And God goes, eh, keep rowing, buddy. You'll, you'll row yourself to the end of your boat, and then you will be eager to think less of yourself and think more of a glorious and awesome God who comes as a man to enter into your life and transform it. That's so cool. This world comes at us with overwhelming problems, terrifying storms and sins. John needs you He needs you. I intentionally say it that way. John is writing this because we have Pastor John writing this. It's a pastor's heart. He's writing this looking forward in eternity, thinking to himself, every person who reads what I write, what is the most important thing that I want them to understand? What is the most valuable nugget of information I can pin? I need you, to believe that Jesus is God, not just a man, not just someone who solves your boo boo, someone who transforms your life and is overall and glorious, and that you are very, very insignificant in view of. But God, in His grace, comes down and He redeems us. That's what John wants us to believe. John needs you to understand that you don't have what it takes. This is the encouraging part of the message. You don't have the resources. You don't have the power. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have what it takes to overcome. You don't. You just don't. I know, some of you want to argue with me. You don't. You have a little boy's lunch and you have a rowboat in an ocean that's gone crazy. So, back to my point. Where am I? Where are you in your belief in Jesus? Is he simply another prophet or is he simply a a man that should have become a king and delivered Israel from Roman rule? Do you believe that Jesus... Well, we believe that Jesus provides for our physical needs, and so we pray when we have physical needs, and we trust that God will take care of that. But for all the other things, I've got it. Do you believe that Jesus actually calms the storms in your life? Do you believe that Jesus can and will get you to the destination that he desires? Did you hear what I said? This is not about you, Brent. Brent, I I have my own desires. I have my own agenda. So did the disciples on the seashore. They had a plan. Don't come to God with your plan. God has a plan. This is, why, this is why emphasizing that God is God and you're not is so important in the gospel of John. We come to him submissive because he is God. God, what do you want with my life? How do you want me to move forward? And then he starts moving us and we start going, oh man, this is is more than I ever could have asked or imagined. Yeah. Do you believe that Jesus really is Lord over all? Because when we realize that Jesus is Lord over all and I'm not, then we're in exactly the right place where God can take us exactly where he wants us. And that's a great place to be. John writes so that we will believe that Jesus is God. He is God over all, and he is worthy of our complete faith, and he is worthy of our complete servitude. So where are you? Are you busy waiting for Jesus to show up so that you can go do the things you want to do? Are you in the boat with a bunch of scared people in a storm? Sometimes we feel that way. Are you exactly where Jesus has placed you? Because sometimes you know, I'm I'm, I'm where God wants me. And I know because it's all out of control and it's not under my control. I'm just kind of like a bobber here. Just going with it. Are you exactly where Jesus has placed you? Almost 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit spoke through the Apostle John to tell you." I can't get over how personal this gospel is. John's not just writing to the masses, he's writing to Brent, so that Brent will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you follow what's happening here? God is speaking directly to you, the apostle John writes, to tell you. It doesn't matter. Where you are, Jesus walks on water. Brent, you don't know how bad my storm is and how bad I've messed up my life. I'm telling you, Jesus walks on water. Brent, I'm telling you that the sea is deep where I'm at and the waves are high. I'm telling you, Jesus walks on water. Brent, I have made a mess of my life. I have sinned. I have broken relationships. I have told people terrible things. I have not served God. I've rebelled against God. And I'm telling you, Jesus walks on water. Don't think that your water is too rough for him. He'll walk right up to your boat and he'll say, I'm here, I'm here. Calm down, I've got you that's incredible. Jesus will find you. Jesus will calm your storm, and Jesus will take you where he wants you to be. Believe. Believe that Jesus absolutely is over all, and believe that Jesus is God, and that he is worthy of all our faith. I'm telling you, this is This has got to be the most simple message of scripture. But if we do not get this in the foundation of our understanding of who God is, we do not build on a correct foundation. Jesus is not a fix to your life. He is your life, he is God. He is not just a healer, he's not just a prophet, he's not just a king. Is he worthy of all those things? Absolutely, but more than all those little bits and pieces, Jesus is God, and he's got this all in his control, in his hands. And so we don't just say, oh, I put a little faith in God. No, 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 no. We put all of our faith in God because he holds all control. He holds salvation completely in his hands. We just come and we say, Lord, I don't have much, but I'll give you all that I am, and I'll trust you will calm my seas. You'll give me eternal life. I'll believe in you with all that I am. Does that make sense? Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word that is always living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. You know exactly where every one of us are at this morning. You know where we're at in our faith. You know where we're at in our faith walk. Lord, I pray that you will make yourself more real today, as we look through the story of Jesus walking on the water and the disciples and how out of control they were and how in need of you they were, Lord, I pray that we can insert ourselves into that story and into that boat and into the mindset of those disciples and that we can come to the realization that we have nothing and that you are our everything. And we don't just come to you casually, but we earnestly desire That you come into our lives and you transform us and you transform circumstances around us and that you are glorified in all of our lives. Father, our dependency is completely upon you. Lord, I pray that you would guide our footsteps that you would guide the decisions that, that some of us have to make this week. Some are big decisions, some are small decisions, but you're concerned about every single decision because you are Lord over all. So, Father, we put our trust in you, no matter how great the storm is in our life or the obstacle in our life, or even if we're just smooth sailing. Lord, we put our confidence in you for every breath that we take. We put our confidence in you for every action, every attitude that we're a part of, Lord. Father, I just pray that the King of glory, the Lord God Almighty, the Savior of humanity, is exalted in our lives. Let the world see that Jesus is God in our lives, in our actions. As we rub shoulders with people outside the church, Father, help those that do not know you to see a light of hope in our lives. Help them to see Jesus and that he is Lord over all, that he calms our storms, and that he brings us eternal life Because he was raised from the dead, one day we'll be raised to eternal life with him. Father, we are so grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, who left heaven and came to earth to be glorified in our simple lives. Father, we love you and we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.